And this is where the BAU began. Was the one place I can still hear Gideon's voice prodding me to uh, think outside the box. Something like, uh, I'm the unsolved. Who's my daddy? That's what we've been missing. Roberta gave us the Roberta name. Lied. She just wants to appear to be helpful to everybody. She's got her own agenda. What do you think? You can get paroled, find her son, and get revenge for the death of her granddaughter, Grace? The trifecta. Killing your own child is far more common than most people think, and in filicide cases, mothers are just as likely as fathers to be killers. Which is why Roberta doesn't want us to get in the way of her taking care of family business. Still, filicide not only requires that she harbor deep resentment, but also that she disassociates from her relationship to her only child. Which she did when I showed her the photo of Grace's dead body. Are we gonna share all this with the rest of the team? It's just theories. Dave, I completely understand your personal stake in this, but you and Gideon started something pretty good down here, and I think it's time that you let that legacy do what it's always done best, work together as a team. Welcome to Killer Casting. This is Lisa Zambetti. I'm the casting director in Los Angeles. <laughs> Forgot for a second where I was. Los Angeles, California, probably best known for my work on Criminal Minds. And speaking of Criminal Minds, we're going to resume my interview with Agent David Rossi, aka Joe Montagna, who was generous enough to come on with me and the beasts to talk about everything under the sun that we could think of. Brian, I thought, was going to faint because he's such a fan of Joe. Yeah, very nearly. But I, I kept my composure and uh, yeah, good work. I barely kept my composure, but I have decided after these series of interviews with Joe that I really think we need to start a Joe Montagna podcast because I just, <laughs> we just couldn't we just couldn't cover so many movies I couldn't even bring up. And this is the thing that occurs to me, and I it was like I was having a flashback because I in the early '90s I worked for Sound Warehouse Video Department in Houston, Texas. Just going through his IMDb page, that late 80s, early mid 90s, he was all over the place. Mm -hmm. He was so ubiquitous and Queen's Logic and things change. Joe, he's just special. He's just part of a certain, not even generation, just a certain quality of actor that I just love. Let's jump right back in with Joe Montaigne. Okay, last uh, movie we're going to talk about, Joe. I watched it this morning, three in the morning. So you're the last face I saw when I went to bed. It's called House of Games, also written and directed by David Mamet, starring you and Bill Macy makes an appearance in it. Lindsay and Lindsay Krauss plays the lead. Now, you, there is nobody more fuckable than you in this movie. Let me tell you that. <laughs> you are so hot. No comment. In this movie, I just loved your performance. And I'm not even, I'm not shitting you. You were so slick and you made the dialogue very organic and natural. It's not what I was hearing in Homicide, the staccato and just hearing Mm -hmm. the lines on the page. You and uh, Ricky Jay and everybody else. Lindsay, I think, was a little bit more formal and her Mm -hmm. dialogue was very structured, but Mm -hmm. you were just such a cool cat. I just, I loved this movie and I highly recommend people go and check it out.
What do you want? What do you fucking want from me? You want your 80 grand back? I can't give it back. I split it up. What do you want, revenge? I gave you my trust. Of course you gave me your trust. That's what I do for a living. You asked me what I did for a living, this is it. Look, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. Really. You're a good kid. Now, whatever it is you feel that you have to do. Sit down, please. I'd love to, but I, I... said to sit down. What are you gonna do, go to the cops? I may. And tell them what? What are you gonna tell them, stud? That the author of the best-selling Driven, A Guide to Compulsive Behavior, gave her fortune away to some con man? You see my point? Well, we've had fun. You must say that. I said to sit down. If you walk out that door, I'm going to kill you. I don't believe you. What is life without adventure? What? What do you want me to do? You took my money. How naughty of me. You raped me. Is that what I did? You took me under false pretenses. Golly, Margaret. Well, that's just what happened then, isn't it? Okay, look, you got stung and you're hurt. I can understand that. You're stuck in your steamer. I want to know how you could do what you did to me. It wasn't personal, okay? And funny as that sounds, I'm sorry that it happened. But it did. We've all got to live in an imperfect world. You used me. I used you. I did. I'm sorry. And you learned some things about yourself that you'd rather not know. I'm sorry for that, too. You say I acted atrociously. Yes, I did. I do it for a living. It was a wonderful script, and it was one of those things, even when I first read it, I was like, when I first read Gary Glenn Ross' play, it was like, wow, it's so, it was so dense. There was so much to it that it was wow. almost like, I got to read this a few times to absorb this. And even when we were making it, you're never quite sure how it's coming off, and you're hoping that people are going to react to it the right way. And then I remember, it was really, one nice thing I remember is when it came out, Siskel and Ebert obviously saw it, and they were at the top of their game. They were considered like the best or the certainly most prestigious film critics in the country. I remember Ebert at the time listed it as one of the top 10 films of the decade of the 80s. Uh, you know, and I thought, wow, that's pretty rarefied air. But the way he explained it, I thought, okay, then he really did get it on that level. Because it's hard for you when you're in the movie and you're making the movie to be objective about that because you're not sure what's coming across and if this mm -hmm. is working. But it all came together and, and it was David and his really, yeah, I really felt in terms of a screenplay, it's one of, certainly, I think, one of his most brilliant screenplays. Why do you think Mamet is so, what is his fascination with? con artists. It's heist, it's Spanish prison. I even count Glengarry in that. You know what I mean? Like these yeah, guys no, con I know what it. Yeah. What is it? I, I don't know. You know, I could tell you this. I remember when he met Ricky Jay, which that Mayor what it was is we were, we were all in New York. Might have been when we were doing, I, I guess it might have, must have been when we were doing Glengarry. But his wife at the time was Lindsay Krause. She threw a birthday party for David and hired Ricky Jay to be the magician at the party. And so that's how they met. But I remember that David was so taken by Ricky and by how he, what he did and his whole, not just that anybody, not that anybody, I'm just saying he was brilliant at, yeah. at his close-up magic, but it wasn't that, it was his spiel, his knowledge, the fact that he was old school, that he had learned this from his grandfather, and that he was this font of history, that he ran this museum of magic and, and the con and all that world. And David was like a kid who was all he ever wanted to do was be a baseball player meeting, you know, Mickey Mantle. <laughs> you know, it was that. I think all I say is I, I was able to witness 
his kind of rapture of that. And so I'm not surprised that a few years later, that that instantly Ricky became part of the, the group, became part of the family, and that the, the, the movie House of Games, there was some of the stuff in the film that Ricky came, came up with, and some of the cons, the actual cons themselves, mm. like when he explains them in the movie. So that's Ricky explaining the real deal. And then he taught me that thing where I do with the coin, where you see me flipping the coin. Yeah. I, I practiced that for two days. I mean, I, still, <laughs> I cheated it a little bit, but Ricky had showed, had showed me how to do that. And so as to why... David has that fascination for it. That's just all I can say is it's just one of his hot buttons. I think he just yeah. loved that stuff. You know, he yeah. loved Ricky. And I mean, I, when Ricky passed away, we all went yeah. to the memorial. I have it right here in my office. I saw, I see in the background. His name's yeah. up in the background. Right? So, we we cool. almost cast him on Criminal Minds, but he passed away before we could do. We did, I did Sneaky Pete. We did the third season of Sneaky Pete for Amazon. And Blake, the showrunner, wrote a, a role specifically for Ricky Jay that he ended up doing. And he passed away during the final episode of the second to last mm. episode. And I, I wished I had been able to go on set and meet him because for obvious reasons. Oh yeah. He um, was the best at what he did. He was the best. I don't want to yeah. give away too many spoilers at all about the, the movie, right. but just so listeners know that it's about this, this, this psychologist or psychiatrist and played by Lindsay Krauss. And she's very austere and mannered and very formal and clinical. But one of her patients is a gambling addict and she tries to help him and she gets sucked into this world of gamblers and con men. And it's just fascinating the way it unfolds. I really loved all the reveals and I don't want to spoil anything, but your character and JT Walsh and Meshach is, if you look quickly, Meshach in it and- It's a it's a great ride, and I think it does hold up. It does. It, it yeah, it does. I think it really does. I know in France, sometimes I'll still get calls because once in a while, it was such a huge movie there. It's called Engrenage in France, and they still will you know play it at the movie theaters there as an art film. It had that kind of, those kinds of legs. Yeah, it, it really has held up. I feel, and it's uh, it is what it is. It's, it's yeah. David at his at really at the top of his game with that. I agree. I agree. Anything else you want to ask my godfather here before we, and I want to know what you're doing now, Joe, and let's, and I want to give a shout out to Ronnie Marmo, who is one of Joe's great friends and has become a great friend of mine and who has this one man play about Lenny Bruce, that it sounds like you're maybe turning into a film. Yeah, um, we did. We filmed it. We're, oh, it's great. We're, editing, we're in the editing process now, and uh, and then we hope that then once this whole COVID thing obviously goes away, uh, we want to return to Chicago with it. We were in the middle of a hugely successful run in Chicago after doing LA and New York, and then we're going to do a national tour of it. So anyway, that's going well. Yeah, if anybody gets a chance to see, it's called I'm Not a Comedian, right? I'm Not a Comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce, yeah. It's an incredible tour de force, one-man show that Ronnie Marmo does of Lenny Bruce. Right. And it's just and he wrote. And he also wrote that as yep. well, which is, which is a testament to him. And then uh, personally, I've got a thing I'm actually looking forward to. I'm doing a series for uh, Amazon, which I'm supposed to hopefully start shooting in February, done by Jason Kadams. Oh, He's a wonderful writer. Love him. Love yeah, and I mean, him. he did Parenthood. He did Friday Night Lights. The best. And it's a beautiful, be- I saw the pilot, and it was one of those things that was like, we're talking about Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And it's very personal for me because it's about three young adults on the autism spectrum oh, who wow. all live together. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they really are. The three actors are on the spectrum. I mean, Amazing. Some degrees more than the other uh, others, but... They're all high, very highly functioning. I have a daughter on the autism spectrum. Jason has a son like that. And so the, the making of this show, this pilot, they were very conscious of that. 
but it's such a beautiful story about these. And I played the father of the, of the lead boy, young, young man. When I saw the pilot, it's just, and since it's Amazon and it's not networking, you don't have to pull any punches. It's profane. It's disturbing. It's funny. It's all of that. It's half hour drama, but, mm-hmm. and uh, they picked it up. Uh, oh, fantastic. So yeah. So they, yeah, they picked it up. But I'm on retainer, so I guess they're serious. <laughs> so, <laughs> they'll say, "Yeah, we're going to do it," but if we're not paying, you, know, you can't believe it. But uh, so I, I think we're doing it. So, uh, but it's it's beautiful, and so I'm really looking forward to that. Now, Kadams is really known for letting actors improvise. Were you able to do that in this one, or was it pretty much stuck to the book? Well, I'm a firm believer of if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. So, in other words. You better have most of it on that page because I'm not a second city guy. I'm not a mm. improv is not my strong suit. I'll do it, but that's not what I've known for or my 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 go into a thing. It's a, I don't. Yes. It's not my thing. But so Jason is such a wonderful writer. I would say there was minimal of that needed. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there may have been the opportunity for it. We could and be open to talk about it. Say hey we tried saying this as opposed to that. Mm-hmm. But no, I think it was all there, and I think because it's so personal for him, yeah. the storyline that he had no problem relating to it, being able to say, you know what, I, I think I know what I'm writing about here. Yeah. And when you read it, being the father that I am of a, of a daughter with that same kind of a situation, I could say, oh, oh yeah, you, you're nailing this pretty good. This is pretty much what this world is like. You know? I can't Joe wait was, to watch it. Yeah. Joe, as part of uh, the research for this interview, I stumbled across me as interview with you when you had your Hollywood That's star. right. That's right. My daughter interviewed me. Hilarious because she starts off with this very formal, she's got the microphone and with a flag on it, you know, she's into the camera. We're here in Hollywood with Joe Montaigne, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then she says, and I, I, I did not know what to expect. There's only about a four minute clip. And then she says, and da, 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 da. And then she pivots to you and says, so how old was I when you realized that I had autism? And it's like a smack in the face. It's like, wait, wait what? Yeah. Never mind the fourth wall. The fifth and the sixth just went down. Right? <laughs> then, yeah. Then yeah. You, so then the two of you have this, it's, a, it's such a funny clip because it, it's structured like, a, like an e-entertainment sort of a right. piece. But yet it's a daughter talking to her father. She's playing the role of an interviewer, but you're actually related. And then at the end, she says, okay, back to you in the studio, Stephen Bob. <laughs> right. Wow, what did I just see? So cool. And I saw Gia not too long ago. Gia is uh, Joe's daughter, who's a fantastic actress. She auditioned mm. for me for a, a film not too long ago. But she I, just mentioned it to me. I told her she's, she's doing some renovation in her house, so she's been staying with us. And I told her, I said, I got to run upstairs. I'm going to Zoom with Lisa Zambetti. She goes, oh, say hello to Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> so what a beautiful family you have. What a beautiful man you are. I mean, there's just there's just no one I'd rather hang out with. And hopefully we'll hang uh, out again soon when we do a movie uh, together. <laughs> I, I I can only hope, Lisa, honest to God. I feel very blessed. I've had a very blessed life. I got no regrets. Everybody's got a story. One thing I've come to realize in life at 73 years old, everybody's got a story and nobody gets a free ride. You know what I mean? Everybody's not always sunshine and roses, but you look back on your life and if you're able to say, you know what, this is my life. Uh, I embrace it and this is, I'm happy with it. If it ended Today, I've got no regrets. I can, oh. I can say that. And I feel very blessed to be able to say that. Yeah. We love you. We're huge fans. And thank you so much for taking the day after Thanksgiving to come here. Oh, and, no. My pleasure. be with me. Hey, Joe, we, and we can cut this. I'm happy to cut. But I, I, I have a story that I have to ask you about. 
Yeah. Okay. So I worked for the mayor's office, of special event site prep crew when I lived in Chicago. So we loaded in like to Chicago, like all the stuff that goes in the summertime in Grand Park, whatever. The foreman of the warehouse was a guy by the name of Jim Roach. Often tell the story, you are going to be directing a play, I think maybe with Victory Garden, like Merlin's something or other, I think was the name of it. It was a play out here in Los Angeles called the Leonardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was a play about Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, go ahead. And you couldn't do it because you were going to be doing Glengarry. And so you were That's interviewing right. all these guys in the restaurant or whatever. And JT, he's, and this is how he told the story. So JT Walsh was there with you as well as you're doing the interview. Right. And as this interview is happening, you both are working out the different ways that you can say the word fuck because there's so much of that language in Glengarry. So you are confirming that story. This is a, a confirmed anecdote. I'm sure it's uh, true, yeah, because Jim wound up directing, <laughs> he wound up directing that play for me, Leonardo, yeah. because it, it was funny, I was torn because my friend was producing it, and I felt like I, I didn't want to let him down, but there's, see, my friend Mammoth's got this new play, it looks pretty good, and it, it actually oh. might leave Chicago and go on to New York. So I mean, for a second, I hesitated, should I really do this? And then I, I thought, no, I got to do it. You never know, this Glengarry thing might work out. You know, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really worked out. I told Jim Roach, I said, hey, Jim, look, you're from Chicago. You get it. I like, you know, how do you think you could? Yeah, I'll do it. So it all worked out. Yeah. Cool. Well, Joe, we're going to say goodbye to you now. I'm going to keep Dean and Brian on so we could just do some housekeeping. Alrighty. But it was so good to see you, my friend. Always good to see you, Lisa. I love you to death. You know that. I love you, so. too. Right. Tiamo, Great talking to you, Joe. Okay. Just before you go, because I'm yes. probably not likely to ever speak to you again. Um, yeah, oh, you, you never know. <laughs> who knows? You've predominantly been an actor, but again, in doing the research uh, for this, I'm a big fan of a podcast called Dan Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. And it's, as it sounds, he, he does five hour podcasts and multiples on a topic. And the one I'm listening to at the moment, he mentioned a term which resonated, and you will understand straight away, chocolate soldiers was a term that he used. Oh, yeah. And you produced a documentary called Chocolate Soldiers. I did, yeah. How did that come to you, and why did you do that? First of all, I do a lot with our military. I've been hosting the National Memorial Day concert not with Gary Sinise now for 19 years now. And I've had a lot of fit in my family were in the military. And I'm not political. See, I've never been a political person. I've been an independent my whole life. But And that's why I align with the military, because my feeling is I feel very blessed to be in a country where we have the ability to vote for who we want to vote for. And, and then that person, for whatever amount of time, gets to run the show. And our military kind of has to follow whoever that may be until the public and the people at large decide they want to change. So far, thank God, it's still working. You know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so this, there's this. When the maker of that film, the film was already completed, came to me knowing I'd produce some few things, and I saw the film. I just thought it was brilliant because it was a film about African American participation in terms of World War II, and and I, I thought mainly what it needed was a narration. And so what, and that's when I, I got Shamar. Oh. I had never done any voiceover stuff, and he was wow. actually very nervous about it. But I said, Shamar, this really needs that. I said, it really, it, it needs someone from the black community to actually be the voice of this film. And I sure. asked him if he would do it, and he did oh, it. And great. I think it's a beautiful film, and it's done very well. And it's uh, and it's real. I was very close to this. He's a very. I've got a lot of memorabilia right in my office here of this Colonel Friend. He was he lived to be uh, ninety nine years old. He was one of the Tuskegee Airmen, and oh. uh, and he was a very dear friend of mine. And so. As I said, that, that's a real hot button for me, people in the military. And I've met some of the greatest people in the world that way. And that, that, that was a result of that. Okay. Thank you Alrighty. so much, honey. We'll see you someday. My pleasure. Okay. Right, bye. Take, Thanks, bye. Joe. Give, give my best to everybody in Australia, Dean, because I, I love the time I spent there.
uh, back oh. in uh, whatever it was. You were down here for work, or was it yeah, I was day? doing. I did the miniseries Starter Wife with Deborah Messing, so I was on there for a oh. few months that year. Okay, anyway, okay. I loved it. I oh, loved well. it. My, we all loved it. Though. So, yeah. Next time you come down, you stay in my place. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. All right. Bye bye. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Thank you very much. Okay, so there we have it, folks. That was the great man, Joe Montaigne. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to chat with him about those movies. And, of course, we barely scratched the surface. We might have to have him back another, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 times maybe. (laughs) We'd be up for that, I'm sure. Lisa and Brian wouldn't complain. But that's it for the moment. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much for listening to Killer Casting. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Audio engineering by Dean Laffin. Logo art by April Laffin. Website and big fat opinions courtesy of me, Brian Allen Hill.